Welcome back to the Austinpreneur Podcast for a special episode with Austin Mayor Kirk Watson being interviewed by the CEO and founder of Capital Factory, Joshua Bayer. This episode is recorded live for Capital Factory's all-access community, and the highlights are featured in this published show. Welcome to Austin Preneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on this show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. As many of you may already know, but let me just go ahead and, uh, and, and uh, fill in some of the details. Um, while he is our newly elected mayor of Austin, uh, this is not his first rodeo. He was first mayor of Austin actually when I first moved here uh, in 1999. I think he started in 1997. Um, and that w- I came here because Austin was booming because it was the first dot-com boom. And it was such a time of rapid change, not a lot unlike diff- you know, the recent times. And he was instrumental in Austin's kind of initial transformation into a real innovation hub and a, something that was on the, on the national and international scene. And now elected for the second time, uh, at another time of rapid growth and transformation in Austin. Um, it, 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 it's like if this was a Star Wars movie, it'd be called Return of the Mayor, The Watson Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, I like um, that. Uh, he, after, after the mayorship, uh, he went on to join the Texas Senate, which is actually where I got to spend the most time getting to know him, um, where he was a champion of education, healthcare, and transportation, uh, and in particular p- played a pivotal role in the creation of the Dell Medical School, uh, which uh, we all now see having such a big impact across the city. And also through that, always a champion of the tech and the business community. Uh, so he's seen it all, the dot-com boom, ride-sharing cars, self-driving cars, the global pandemic, uh, and all of, all of that through the lens of Texas politics. Uh, he's someone who I call for advice when I don't know what to do. Did it recently. Um, he's someone that I asked for, uh, to act as a reference for me uh, when I applied for Leadership Austin. Thanks for writing a reference letter. Um, and someone I'm proud to have voted for. So um, we don't have a Star Trek floor here at Capital Factory, as you know, unfortunately. Um, we have the Star Wars floor. But I feel good knowing that Austin is ready to boldly go where no one has gone before <laughs> with Captain Kirk here at the realm, at the helm. So uh, let's give one more big round of applause for our mayor. Thank you all. Senator, governor, dean, mayor, uh, and captain, uh, governor, uh, <laughs> captain uh, Kirk P. Watson. Thank you, sir. Well, great. Well, uh, we're going to have some time here, probably about 45 minutes together, maybe a little bit more, where we'll give you a chance. And I'm going to ask him some questions. Many of you, when you uh, signed up, submitted questions. So I've got a few of those uh, here, or many of those here as well uh, mixed in. And um, depending on how much time we have, we might be able to open up this more view as well. Um, but let's just jump right in. You know, let's just start with why are you running for mayor a second time? I mean, don't most people get abused enough the first time? Like, I mean, what, what made you come back for more? Well, first, if I'm honest about it, I have to start by saying I didn't feel done. And by that, I mean I have, most of my adult life, been in public service now. Most, I'm not sure it's most, but it's a big chunk of it, right? 
Um, I've been in public service in one way or another. As he pointed out, I was mayor and then I was in the state senate all those years um, and served as a dean of a brand new public policy school at the University of Houston. And the pandemic really made that job at the University of Houston a job that you know, I never got to move to Houston. I never got to, I never met another dean, never stood in front of a classroom. And so I said, I'll get you started and did and got everything going and, and said, I'm, I'm going to do something else and stay in Austin. And we were going to keep the house anyway because we got grandkids here. And Liz was, I was if I got her down there 50% of the time, I'd be happy. So um, anyway, so I wasn't done. And a lot, a lot of people came to me and said, would you consider running for mayor again? Uh, and it was, a, it was the kind of encouragement that I thought, well, I ought to at least look at it. And in my view, the decisions that are being made today are decisions that will decide whether or not 20 years from now uh, we're a great international city. Uh, and so that we need to be doing some things. I, I felt like city government needed to get back to some of the basics and taking care of some of the basics. We needed to make sure that City Hall was structured in su such a way that it could deliver results, uh, be organized so that you could get uh, quick service, quicker service, and be, on the, be willing to be on the cutting edge of where our economy is uh, moving forward. And I, I felt like I could play a, a pivotal role in that, and so uh, here I am. Thank you for doing that. Well, it's not something everybody's willing to step up to do. That's why I really appreciate it. Um, so over that time, you know, really, and I, this was, you know, in many ways, your, your time was my time here in Austin. I came right, right, right in the middle of your first mayorship. Um, and Austin has changed so much during that time uh, in going from, you know, in many ways, I think of it like it was kind of the top of the tier two cities. It was like one of the best up and coming cities, you know, forever. Um, and kind of over COVID, the, like it accelerated so many other things. It accelerated Austin. And, and now I think of Austin as kind of, you know, with all due respect, we're kind of the bottom of the tier one cities now. You know, we went from like, which was an upgrade, but like now we're just like, but it's hard. We're slogging it out with, with everybody else, with the best cities in the world. Um, and so, you know, in that time, and as you look at Austin as it was then, you know, almost 20 years ago and as it is today, you know, what, what, are the, what are the universal truths about Austin? What's like still like the same old Austin? And, um, you know, what, what's, are there any of those that we should challenge or anything that like we need to let go? Uh, I, I, that's a great, I like the way you phrase that, universal truths in Austin. Um, first of all, one of the big differences between 97 and uh, when I first was elected or two, even 2001 when I left office, um, and, and Josh is right, uh, you know, I was mayor helping navigate through our first big tech boom and, ha and how that felt. And we, we were at that point in time really becoming a big city and starting to sense that we had some challenges that were going to be big city challenges. For example, uh, when I was mayor, it was the first time we ever built a resource center for the homeless because we were, we were witnessing a change in the number of people living homeless and so we needed a resource center. It was the first time we put money into a women and children's shelter. At the same time, it was the first time we created a, 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 an affordable housing trust fund. Uh, 
because we were starting to address, see, see that we needed to address the needs of, of affordability in our city. We created what was, what's still being used today called the Smart Housing Program, and that's related to affordability. We had the Mayor's Challenge Fund to help with at-risk affordable properties. So we were- They're uh, talking about a lot of the same problems. That, that's exactly right, and, what, what that, and that leads to the idea that we were becoming a big city and we were having to start addressing these things, but what happened is the rapid, rapid growth brought those issues, those challenges, if you will, to scale. Because we now are a big city. And so we would talk about universal truths. The way I, get, I, the way I would think about it with that as a context is that first, there is, even today, I got here in 81, and for, we were just talking about it. For, I was gonna be here one year, and we were, Liz and I were gonna go back up to North Texas which is where we grew up. And we got here and people kept saying, you'll never want to leave, you'll never want to leave. And we literally made fun of people for saying that to us. And then after about three months, we said, ooh, I wonder if we can make a living here and stay. And that was 81, right? But the point being that a universal truth in Austin is from 1981 to 1997 to 2001 to today, the universal truth is that everybody comes to Austin falls in love with it, and then immediately hopes nobody else moves here. <laughs> and believes that Austin will never be as good as when they first got here. Uh, you know, the, the Mike's Pub, which was the best hamburgers in Austin. When it closed, well, Austin's not the same. It'll never be the same. Of course, you know, we can't judge our city by whether our best hamburger joint closes down, right? Yeah, they, yeah well, they, I get that. I get that. But my point being that the universal truth is, I tell that kind of as a joke, but it, what it means is people really love this place and they want to preserve it. They want to preserve that vibe or whatever it was that caused them to stay. But you ask about what we need to challenge. One of the things we need to challenge is this nostalgic idea that the city won't change or that we need to make it like it was in 1981 and, or 91 or 2001, that, that we've changed. And that means we have to mature, we have to evolve with that change. Uh, by the way, that includes in the governance. We, you know, I, I say all the time that uh, we're a big city that we still try to govern ourselves like a village and nobody makes a joke about the village idiot getting elected mayor. Um, but, 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 but the point being that we have to mature. And so we need to challenge to some degree this idea that we can always be exactly like it was when I first got here or you first got here. Yeah, for sure. Change, unfortunately, is uh, change is death. Like that, you have to grow, you have to That's change, right. right? And so I don't think, yeah, you can't keep things the same. Would you change, would any of your answer be different? Is there anything different lens if you just looked at like the tech and the venture scene and how that was then oh, versus um, now? The, that was like, and, and maybe you remember this well, but as yeah. I think about it, that was like the Austin Ventures days. Yes, right? no, I like, remember well, money just being thrown um, you know, at the time, uh, of course, that was dot-com time, too, and, and my, one of my strongest memories was 
the level of belief that everyone was invincible, that it, this would never fail. Um, I remember speaking, there was a thing that, that Austin had every year called um, uh, the 360 Summit, the Austin 360 Summit. And it was an effort to see, I mean, it brought in all, not all, but a bunch of tech folks. And it was uh, basically so that everybody could pat themselves on the back and say, aren't we special? In fact, even to the point that the president of the University of Texas at Austin, at one point, kind of got, he was on the, a dais and he got upset with the way he was being addressed. And he made the comment, something to the effect, let me just say something, the University of Texas is gonna be here long after a whole lot of you are. And people threw wiffle balls at him uh, from the audience. Um, prominent people that couldn't make it to the event, there was an empty chair put on the stage to embarrass them. One person told me that, I gave a speech as mayor, I'll never forget, he stood up and he said, We're do, we've done what our job is, it's time for you and the city to do what its job is. And I said, okay, help me with that. What's your job? And his response was, create wealth. And I thought, wow, not be part of the city, not help move the city, just create wealth. Well, when you make that comparison over time, I think there has been uh, probably some um, uh, change in the sense that there, people have seen that there can be failure and, and there can be change that changes the course of where you thought things were going to go. But it's also that the economy, the tech economy has grown so much bigger that there's now kind of a, um, I don't know, there's a depth to it that allows for some of those mistakes to occur and it doesn't wipe out something, right? It, we're, we're able to continue to move forward. So um, the universal truth at the time was tech was invincible and that was shown to not be true. And so I think there has been some maturation. You know, you can almost just look at South by Southwest growth oh, yeah. and arc as part of that, and it, it's transition from a music and film festival to really yes. much more of an interactive technology and innovation conference with a music festival and a film festival going on. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I remember when the, the it was basically a flyer that told you where bands were playing, you know, what clubs this band was playing in on this night, and in '22. Uh, 25% of the participants uh, were international. This year, 30% of the participants were international. And the reason I bring that up is, is that tells you where Austin is, where everybody's how, how looking many at Austin. Here are from, are from outside the U.S.? Yeah, there you One, go. One, two, three, four, five, maybe? Okay. Yeah, which, so, I mean, that, that is a very telling thing to me about the change. South by Southwest, you're right, helps demonstrate that. And by the way, um, I learned as mayor that there must be some international law that says that if you're uh, an international person at South by Southwest, say you're the ambassador, I, I met with the, the French ambassador to the United States. I met with the minister of technology from the kingdom of Jordan, the mayor of Manchester, England. I mean, all these different ministers, 
there's got to be an international law that says they cannot receive reimbursement for their trip unless they have their picture made with the mayor of Austin. <laughs> I'm going to put a turnstile in that office next year. We're going to add to the general fund of the city. So. A little bit of a self-serving question, but what's your perspective? You've seen Capital Factory grow during yeah. that whole time. What's Capital Factory's you know, role on that? How's that changed? I'll, I'll try to answer that in two parts. One is, when I was mayor the first time, there were only, my memory is only three places you could live in downtown Austin. Only three places like you could live. Three buildings. Three buildings where people could. One was, was the Monarch the, up yet? Uh, no, oh no, no, no. no. Um, it was the uh, uh, Rail Yard Apartments. It was the Brown Building, and then Regency is what I remember, the one over there behind the jail. But that was it. And so I said I wanted to see a big change in our downtown. And I wanted, I said, you know, look, it can't just be lawyers, bankers, and real estate guys. It needs to be, you know, what was then referred to as the new economy. And I even coined the phrase that nobody caught on to, um, Austin 3D, a downtown digital district. And I wanted, and so I was, I was trying to, I, I got CSC to come downtown, where Silicon Labs is now by the city hall, that was an effort I did to get CSC downtown. And, and by the way, pre-play a 99-year lease that we used that money to build the city hall. Silicon Labs then ended up buying that, but I made a deal with Intel to get them downtown and they built part of a building and then left. Uh, yeah, and I, I've, had, I've had that Intel building in TV ads run against me more than anything maybe I've ever had. Um, but but, but the, the goal was I was trying to get that. So that's to get to this point. One of the roles that Capital Factory has played in the change, and it's played a significant role in the change of our downtown, has been that, in essence, the downtown digital district came to be. Um, we may not call it that, but Capital Factory has played, I think, the, the leading role and, I mean, you know, you know Google's there, and you know Facebook, and you, you know Silicon Labs, but all of this and all of the, the, the Capital Factory does is really the heartbeat of that downtown digital district. So that, that'd be the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is that it, when you, you think about others that look to come here, you know, uh, the Army's Future, Army Futures Command, one of the things it said, and I'll get this wrong, but... It said that it didn't want to, it didn't have time or didn't want to build the creative ecosystem. It needed to go to a place that already had the creative ecosystem. And of course, Capital Factory is, is out front on that. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's played a significant role. One of our kind of mantras, one of our values is, of course, always our main role is to help the entrepreneurs. And um, so really our main goal in getting you here was really mostly just so any of the entrepreneurs that want to do something with the city got the chance to go pitch you on them going doing stuff with the city. So that's one of the questions mm -hmm. they get asked when they come here is like, what do you want to do with the city? And we sent you a list ahead of time. Yeah. Like, here's all the requests. They all got sent over. Um, but just more generically, not that with no expectation, he can't go magically make all that happen. But we're just, you know, doing our best to make make stuff connect stuff together. If a some startup has in Austin has some idea about like, wow, I can really help the city. They're doing something, and you know, they could use the stuff that we're working on. 
do you, and I know that there's all these different departments, everything else. Like, but any suggestions? Like, how do they get started? How do they connect to the city? First of all, I think that the city just functionally has not stayed up with tech the way the city government of the tech capital of the universe, to use your Star Trek thing, um, the, the tech capital of the universe ought to. I think we're behind on that. Uh, when I moved into the mayor's office this time and brought my staff in, they filled out their HR stuff with a pen and on you know, paper. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, the website, I mean, I hate to say it, I'm, I'm probably insulting somebody, but um, you can't maneuver. I mean, it ought to be the easiest, best in the world, right? So I think the city ought to be, the city government ought to be real open to how, that, how tech could play a role. And, and by that, I mean even inviting. So to the specifics of the question, City government is, you know, in my view, one of the things I'm working very hard on is to try to get us to make sure we're providing the basics in the right way. So that, it, that distracts, if you will, appropriately distracts, I think, in many instances, from being able to, whatever the shiny object is, that the, on you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there's some new idea coming to you. Um, and if you focus on, and frankly, I, I think, We've, that's part of what's happened over the last several years is whatever the issue of the week is, in many instances the national issue of the week, people run to it as opposed to focusing on the basics. So I'll put it back on you a little bit. The idea that would be helpful needs to be an idea that is not just, hey, I'm dropping this cat off on the front porch it's really a pretty cat. You need to understand it. And if you don't understand it, you're dumb and then leave. Instead, it needs to be bringing the cat with the ecosystem around the cat. Uh, because that cat's going to be feral if you just drop it there on the city's front porch. Um, and, and not make it just about the shiny. You know, I can do this for you if you're just smart enough to take this idea. It needs to be not fully formed, but it needs to be formed from the perspective of the way you would want to do it in a business. And you would want to bring it to us so that we can then figure out how that partnership would work or how we can be helpful to you in getting that partnership in front, not the partnership, the, the, the idea in front of others. And, um, too often, that's not what happens. Too often, what happens is, hey, Mayor, I've got this great idea, and then I never hear again, or I, the next time I hear about it was, you know, you never called me back on that. Well, no, I was picking up somebody's garbage. Um, you know, it, it's, you get my point. It, it, needs to be, it needs to be more than just the idea. You need to go back to the guy that I said he, cre he, said he created wealth. You need to be a participant in helping make those things happen as opposed to just the idea. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think that's great advice. You know, one of the great things about being in a place like this and having the Army Futures Command and the Air Force and the National Guard and big companies like McKesson and, uh, and Booz Allen and, and Deloitte here is that um, 
that they're here kind of as scouts looking for these things and kind of getting exposed to it. And when people have questions, they kind of have someone to go talk to. Um, and so one thing maybe just to leave you to think about is just, you know, who's, who would be the person at the city that could, that's the scout? Well, you know, that, that, that should be should be get invited. Just come come to some of sure. these things and sit in on some of these circles, so that they can be looking for it. And they they need to be kind of a connector in the city, so that they know, like, oh, I know who you need to talk to. Well, you know, like, yeah, I, I get that. So so let me um, let me say candidly that I want the city to do better in terms of that because I don't think the city. Uh, a minute ago, I, I think I made a comment about the city not being set up for success on a lot of things, not being organized to allow for success. I don't think the city plays a big enough role in what you just described. I don't think it's set up well enough to do that kind of thing. Uh, it basically, the, the role that the city plays, is, and this is an overgeneralization, is wait for somebody to come and say they want to move their business to Austin, and now what sort of tax breaks can they get? And that's really not what the role the city ought to play. In my view, what you described is more what the city ought to play. Right now, I would say that that point person ends up being the mayor. And the mayor doesn't have enough staff to make sure those kinds of things occur. So one of the things that I'm working on already and working with um, people that know economic development is how do we change that? What, what, what is, the, what is the, the organization to allow for that to happen better? I like the way you, you talked about the scout. I hadn't thought about that, but that's, uh, I, I agree. How do, we, how do we do that? And um, that's going to take a little while, but it's a, it's, it's a failing of our city government right now. Um, I, I'll give you any, another example. We created, I say we, uh, before I got there, there was the creation of uh, a local government corporation that is there to deal with economic development, and it's there to uh, be more nimble than city government. And the city hadn't funded it. So it's like, okay, well, so I'm now pushing to get that funded the right way. The city manager's uh, helpful in that regard. But um, we're not, we're, the, the honest answer is we need help figuring out how we set it up the right way. Yeah. You know, one of the things for me that was has been really helpful in that regard was actually participating in Leadership Austin. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's something that many of you probably aren't familiar with, but it's a program that runs here and runs many other cities. And, uh, and over the course of the year, there was, a, you know, once a month or something like that where we'd get together with a group of, in this case, it was a cohort of about 60 other city leaders uh, that was really well selected to be very diverse in in where they came from yep. and that it was so there was somebody from the airport and somebody from Seton and somebody from like and like I didn't realize it but at the end of it one of the well and then in the over the course of it you kind of look at how different parts of the city works and you get a good overview of everything but just from that cohort yeah. it's like I know somebody everywhere yeah, like you know, right. like within the city, it's like, oh, we need somebody over at the airport. Like, oh, I know somebody over at the airport. You know, like, um, and that kind of connectivity is super, super powerful, and something I'd really encourage for anybody that wants to work with the city. Some people do it because they're planning to run for office, and it's a way to get plugged into those things. Um, but for me, that that was really the value that I felt like I got out of it. I think it was that's this, a- this just connected network of like. I get a little bit better how the city works, and I'm connected into it. That makes sense. So thank you for nominating yeah. me for that. Um, and it runs every year, and something that you can, they have a few different types of programs you can participate in. 
All right, I don't, you know, I watched, to prep for this, I watched your interview with Sewell Chan from the Texas Tribune. Obviously, one, just the Texas Tribune being kind of obvious go-to place to go watch a good interview. Um, two, uh, funny side note, but what a small world it is. Sewell, I don't know if you know this, I've known since 2013. I met Sewell in China, uh, and I had gone there on a fellowship uh, through the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, uh, where they brought about 20 leaders from the U.S. over to China for two weeks to meet with, to spend time with 20 leaders in China, and to get to you know get to know each other and learn about things and whatnot, which was a really great experience. And Sewell was there at the time. He was the editor, one of the editors at the, at the L.A. Times. And the big hush hush secret in the room was that he was getting like a promotion up to the New York Times. Uh, and uh, it's funny the way people like you know appreciate and their careers change over time. Uh, and then just last year, he moved here to Austin to become the uh, editor of the Texas Tribune. Um, and so, um, so really glad to have him here and to watch that interview. Um, but very different kind of interview. His interview was exactly, he asked all of the questions he was supposed to ask. It was like the very, like, you're the new mayor, and I'm going to ask you all the political questions kind of thing. So I'm not going to ask all the same questions, and I'm not going to get too political. But there are one or two topics that are a little political that I thought would be interesting for us and our audience to talk about. And um, the first one that you didn't have a direct role in, but I'm really curious of your perspective on, was what I affectionately refer to as the Uber Wars. <laughs> um, and that was this period of time while you were not mayor, but while you were in, the, I believe while you were in the Senate, um, when, um, when ride sharing was really becoming a thing and it was rolling out across many different cities and there was lots of dis- debate about it and there was a big thing about fingerprinting. That was the technical kind of like key debate part of it. And the result being that uh, that Uber and Lyft and other ride-sharing unit companies were banned in Austin for a period of time uh, before eventually uh, being able to come back. And um, so, yeah, I'm curious. So, like, I felt very naive going into that. How do you mean? It, like about politics and everything. Oh. Like I didn't really, I'd never been part of pushing for anything to happen or whatever. But I kind of, you know, certainly had some feelings. Um, I feel a little, a little wiser now. Um, I'm just curious, like, what, what, what did you think about, like, did we, what, did Austin learn anything from that? Should we learn anything from that? Was that like, did that happen the way it was supposed to happen? Is that just no, inevitable? No. Like, what, what do you think should have happened there? So, um, I thought it was a big mistake on both sides. Uh, the initial mistake was, you know, here we are in a town that one of the, one of those truths that we talked about earlier is, we have congestion. We have a need for mobility options. And all of a sudden, we've got this relatively new way that people can get around showing up in Austin. And our first reaction, I say our, the first reaction was to try to ban it. As opposed and, and can we just stop for a second? South by Southwest and ACL are so much better now. Like, seriously, the traffic was a serious, serious problem, and it is so much better, and it is mostly ride-sharing that has just completely alleviated that. Yeah, you, particularly when looking back with hindsight, it's like, what were you thinking? And, and it was almost, it felt to me, almost like a made-up political fight. Um, and you always, wanted to, you always were wondering, what is it you're fighting for when you say you can't be here, and if there's legitimate reason... Uh, let's say the legitimate safety reasons, let's address those reasons as opposed to this ban. Um, it made no sense to me from that perspective. But then Uber decides, well, we'll show you. We're going to get a petition 
which we're allowed to do under our charter. It'll, we'll get it certified. We have initiative and referendum. We'll get it certified and we'll put it on the ballot. And we're going to make you do what we want you to do. And then they spent $10 million on that election and lost their ass. And by the way, they never came and talked to me, even though I was in the Senate representing this area, area until after they lost. And they came into the office and, and I said, okay, before we get started, there's a couple of things. One is, in Texas, I don't think we have a cause of action for political malpractice. But if we did, you would have a good case. And next time, if you want to have an election and you're thinking you're going to spend $10 million to win it, I'll lose it for you for half the price. <laughs> uh, so um, so it, it, it was a dumb fight. And I think it was a dumb fight on both sides. What have we learned? Well, don't pick a fight with the city. That's dumb. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, don't threaten the city. You know, it's interesting. I could give you a little bit of history about when an environmental fight in, in, that led to the Save Our Springs Alliance and Save Our Springs Ordinance and all that. And a, and a corporate guy stood up in, at a city council meeting and said, if you don't give me this zoning, I'm going to bankrupt this city. Well, I mean, it changed the whole politics. The aquifer politics were the politics of this community for two generations. And, and, and as I watched this Uber fight at the time, I kept thinking, you know, that's still in the DNA of this city. Don't stand up here and tell me, corporate entity, that you're going to beat my ass. Well, this is still Texas. Yeah, that's like. right. That's right. And it's Austin. And all, and, but my point being, the lesson we should, we should learn from that is change may be a good thing. We ought to look at it. We ought to explore it. And, and don't start from the premise that I have to fight with you all the time on those kinds of changes. Because it, it, I thought it was a... I thought it was a black eye for the city. Yeah, I, I do too. And I, I, that's one thing that just always impressed me about you from the beginning was that you uh, seem to be able to hang out on both sides of the aisle and talk to different people and, you know, hopefully get shit done and be practical. And, you know, and so, so one, just how, how does that happen? How do you, how, why did you do that? How come you get to throw your birthday party at the governor's mansion? I'm, I'm proud to say that in the, uh, uh, in the 86th legislative session, I was elected to be president pro tem of the Senate. And um, in, in one of the things he hadn't said was in 2002, I ran, I was the Democratic nominee for attorney general in the state of Texas. And I lost, a, I can't remember what that guy's name was. Um, Abbott, <laughs> Abbott was his name. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what he's doing these days, but, um, but, but, he, he, he mentioned just the other day, uh, he was speaking to a, a group, and I was in the audience, and he pointed out that we had run against each other in 2002, but that we worked collaboratively together when I was in the Senate. And then you all have probably seen that in the last few days, uh, I have worked an arrangement with uh, the governor, lieutenant governor, and DPS so that DPS will supplement and support the Austin Police Department, uh, working directly with the state. So, you know, how do you do that? First of all, you're willing to listen even though you might not carry the same labels, right? Um, I, I have always believed that we put too many labels on each other, you know, and once we get the label, once we put a label on somebody, 
there's no empathy ever again, right? Because I know everything I need to know about you. It's dehumanizing. It's, it's exactly right. And, and now we, politics, Lord have mercy. I mean, the number of labels that get put on people there, and it's too bad because we quit hearing. I think I know everything I need to know about you once I say, oh, you're a Democrat or, oh, you're a Republican or, or whatever. So I've always tried to say, you know, I, I have labels on myself. Uh, I, I ran as a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. But I'm willing to listen. And I'm willing to find those sweet spots where we can agree. The second thing is I'm a big believer that you don't make unnecessary enemies uh, because you may really dislike my idea and work to kill it this time. But the next time, you may be with me. So I'm not going to try to do my business with you on this issue in such a way that we're now enemies because we may be allies on the next event. And that's just kind of how I've lived my life and lived my political life, and I think it's paid off. I have relationships um, and, you know, with those that are in control of the Capitol that they're not part of my party. But yet you see, here's an example with, with policing where we've been able to uh, work together. And I mean, some people I think were surprised by that. Some people have attacked me because I'm willing to how do How could that. you? Yeah, how could you? But I'm here to govern on behalf of my constituents. And if we can figure out ways to benefit my constituents, then I'm willing to talk. I'm willing to try to figure out how we get there. And I'll tell you, I think what's been, we spend too much time fighting over stuff uh, just to fight, just to make a point sometimes. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, I, you'll never see me, I don't think you'll ever see me, you'll never see it, but I think you'll never see me tweet at a political figure. There's no way you can have dialogue on Twitter. I mean, what a dumb idea. But people tweet at me all the time, and I'm just not going to engage because that creates unnecessary enemies and and meaning like saying something like ar ar argumentative or calling yes, someone a name yeah. or like Atta attacking them for for yeah, a position not you wouldn't use social media but just but, so you wouldn't use it to do that yeah, yeah i'll give you an example of, of something that um recently the dallas mayor who's uh, uh, on like a thursday and i'd sent him a text on monday congratulating him on something i've known the guy a long time but he tweeted at our police saying, um, and, and, and me, saying that police officers, if you don't want to retire, come to Dallas and, and we'll take care of you. And I thought, you know, that was kind of chicken, which is half a word. Um, and, and, uh, and, and people wanted me to tweet back at him. Well, I'm not going to do that. I mean, there's no... Now, when the if it media, was about tacos, that'd be one thing. Well, but. maybe. But, but when, he, when he came... So I, but when the media came to me and asked me what I thought of that, I said, well, you know, um, Dallas's retirement system for police is $3 billion underwater, and ours is financially sound. Uh, at every level of police officer, it, Austin pays better than Dallas... Um, action, so who, who cares about their police more, Austin or Dallas? Actions speak louder than tweets. And, and, but, but, but that's where you, you know, that, the media was a better place to do that. 
I'm just not going to get into that kind of um, fight because you can't have a reasonable dialogue. You're not really listening. You're not able to hear, and it creates unnecessary enemies. I heard you say that in the, uh, as well in the, the Sewell interview, and I really appreciated that comment. I think that's very much the high road kind of way, and I think it serves you really well, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you take that approach. That's certainly, I think, how I try to think about it. I'm, I'm not quite as perfect. I've called some people out, but I, but I, try, but I try to do that when I can, when I can remember but to. It's not always easy yeah, to, not, right. to, to follow that one of, my, one of my favorite uh, recent reads, which uh, many people apparently knew have known for a long time, and I've just gone into, is a book called The Four Agreements, and Part of that is do your best. So yeah, keep trying your best. Um, so on that note, um, one thing that I have always been so proud of uh, is I think of Capital Factory as a really nonpartisan, open place. We've hosted so many different people across the aisle in many different ways. And, um, and even though I have often spoken up about certain issues and things, I, I always got invited to the governor's South by Southwest reception. And this was the first year I didn't. I was so offended. I was like, oh, my God, I got pulled off the list. Like, I must have said, sweeted something. <laughs> Too bad. I, wonder what um, I, I know people put me on the list. I definitely got taken off. Um, so any, any advice for Capital Factory, of particularly now? Like, it's harder now. And honestly, I'm, I was waiting. It was easier when I was more naive. It was like, sure, Ted Cruz, come do a press conference here. Um, and, like, now it's like... Like, how do we in this world, any advice for how Capital Factory can still be a nonpartisan, open place that people feel comfortable coming to of all kinds, and yet at the same time still feeling like we also have some lines somewhere too? I don't sure. Know. I mean, look, I'm always going to stand up for my values. I'm always going to fight for my values. And, and people on the other side of the aisle... When I was in the Senate, they knew that was going to happen. And I'm going to stand up for Austin values. Uh, and you have to do that. You have to have a line. But, but I think the, the core rule has to be a couple of things. One is you only want to deal with people that are willing to throw away the labels. And if people aren't willing to throw away the labels, they're just not part of what it is you're attempting to do. You always want to deal with people that are looking for new and different ways to hear each other, uh, that, that recognize that the initial thing you hear may not be all that's being said. Uh, the example I, I, I would give is that Liz and I have raised two boys, and, and those kids growing up in the house, sometimes we got after each other, you know, the, the, they thought they were the smartest guy in the house, and I was. Uh, but, uh, but I have that, no idea what you're yeah, talking yeah. about. But no, what I happened, have you'd have that fight, and two hours later, you'd be talking when things quieted down, and, and you'd go, oh, that's what you meant? Oh, we can do I know how we do that and not hurt me. You, you, you want to surround yourself with people that are, that are willing to try new ways to hear and... and People that are willing to build new and different constituencies. How do you include other people in what it is you do um, that maybe don't see themselves as part of this or you didn't see them as part of it? Um, uh, the young man you introduced me to that wants to start the bike park. Right. Yeah. Um, that's a new and different constituency the way I see what you all do. And that's a neat thing that you do. 
But then always know that your values are going to be defended. This has been super fun. I have two more questions I want to make sure to ask. I have a number of questions from the audience. And um, we're getting a little close to time. Now, I don't know, what, I know exactly what your time limit is. So I'm going to just assume that I'm going to go a little bit over and assume that, um, that Paul will come yank you off the stage <laughs> if you have to go. But uh, hopefully you guys don't mind. I think this has been, been really great. And I want, to, I want to keep asking a few more questions. Um, so I'm skipping some. But Roy Spence, who I'm sure you know. I'm not sure everybody here does. He hasn't been as, as active in the public scene as lately. But he's one of the founders of GSDNM which is one of the kind of iconic uh, uh, Austin brands and behind a lot of the most iconic Austin brands. They helped create uh, Keep Austin Weird and uh, Don't Mess With Texas, you know, some of the most famous sayings that, um, that have had a big impact on how we all think about ourselves. And he recently did a podcast, um, where, which I don't know if you ever heard, if you heard this, where he talked about um, where he thought about where Austin was today and where it's going. And he talked about, you know, this was before you were elected, so he was talking about, you know, what the new mayor might do and things like that. And he talked about um, purpose. And he said, you know, I wonder, has Austin lost its purpose? And is there an opportunity almost to, like, to have a public hearing, to, like, collectively decide on what is our common purpose and use that as, like, a, a rallying point or an identity to help us Kind of move forward into the uh, into the next decade, and I, I'm just curious if you if you had heard that or if you have any thoughts. I, on I've that. not heard that, uh, but I, I love him um, and have for a long time. Uh, one of the one of my favorite people in this town, in part because he is so creative and and he asks questions like that. I think it's neat to have somebody like Roy Spence asking questions like that. Um, if you're asking me, should we be engaged in that? Um, as opposed to has it lost its purpose. I don't believe it has lost its purpose, um, in part because I see its purpose as being a place that lets people be who they are, uh, that, it, that, it, that it is a creative place. Uh, the Keep Austin Weird moniker, I told a bunch of the people, the international people, that, um, that what I said to them was the number one bumper sticker and T-shirt in Austin is not as it should be, Kirk Watson for Austin mayor, it is keep Austin weird, which is a bad autocorrect. It was supposed to be keep Austin wired, and you know, so uh, it got screwed up. But what, what I, it's always meant to me is you can be a person that you want to be, and you can have ideas that you want to have and put them out there, because most ideas, the first time you hear them, they're weird, Right? You know, if I'd have called my old man and said, Daddy, I'm dropping out as a sophomore in college, I'm dropping out, and I'm going to build computers and sell them directly to people, he'd have said, that's weird, That's weird, son. Uh, if I'd have called him two weeks later and said, I've got a better idea, I'm going to uh, open a grocery store, and I'm going to sell bean sprouts and granola bars, he'd have said, well, that's weirder. And, of course, that's, that's Dell and Mackey, right? So... Our purpose is how do we cultivate the lives of our people so that they can be who it is they want to be and achieve their potential. I don't think we've lost the purpose. I'm not sure we're doing all of those things, and I've got some ideas for how we do it. Um, so I, I think I think we I think we have to constantly evaluate whether 
And, and part of the reason I like elections is because I think that is to some degree an evaluation of purpose and what it is that we want to see. Uh, I truly believe that one of the things people wanted to see in, the, in, in government in this election was not taking off on something that wasn't taking care of basics or wasn't getting things done. And uh, because that's part of the purpose of government is to try to enhance lives and you need to get things done as opposed to just taking a, a stand. So I, I need to go listen to the podcast, but um, we're, we're, we've got a lot of purpose left in us and we need to, um, we need to figure out how we rally around that. Yeah, definitely check that one out. All right, my last question before I've got a, a few from the audience, um, and this one is a fun one that we, we can all kind of play with a little bit, but put you on the spot. Do you know what chat GPT is? Have you ever used it? I, I've never used it, but I do know, and, and it's very consistent with what I've been wanting to announce very soon. It's not M-A-Y-O-R, it's M-A-I-O-R, um, which you're not going to need me anymore. Uh, I'm going to use that chat bot to, um, I don't know, sit on my back deck. Uh, you know, and, and, and just know that I was very involved with IBM when we created Watson back in the day. So um, here I'm doing it again. No, it's, it's it, artificial intelligence. It, I know a little bit about it. Um, a politician has been accused of artificial intelligence for some time. Um, and, and, and I'm part in that category. But I've not used it. And I would, uh, I'm, o I'm open to trying to teach old dogs new tricks. Well, I'll tell you, how, you know, so I used it to, uh, to get ready for this speech oh. today. Um, I, uh, I went and I wrote, I typed into it. I said, well, uh, it only actually, it actually only knows anything up till 2021. That's like when it's like knowledge stops. So the first thing I had to tell it was, well, assume that Kirk Watson becomes the mayor of Austin in 2023. So then now it knows that that's part of the chat. We're having a wow. conversation, right? So it's like, okay. And I said, now write me, uh, an introduction for Joshua Bear at, to introduce him at Capital Factory to an audience full of entrepreneurs and investors um, and make it take me 90 seconds to read it and try to have it be something kind of a little bit funny and you know and uh, and see what it says and it spits out this little introduction. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. It had, a, it, had, it had a joke in there about uh, you know this being the sequel to a movie, but its movie was kind of dumb. So then I was like, hey, that was funny, but Give me some better movie ideas, <laughs> and they came great. back with some different, different, different ones, and didn't quite get the one I gave. But I, but it gave me kind of the inspiration oh, yeah, to sure. then make. Oh, I, I'll me tweak it. I'll make it that right. Um, and um, then you know, after after a few more, then I said, then I, it didn't say anything about Dell Medical School. I was like, you know, can you mention something about the Dell Medical School? And it was like, sure. And it adds another two sentences about Dell Medical School. Oh, that's and what fantastic. You did there. Yeah, I need um, to check that out. And then the last thing, you know, the way I read notes, I don't read things word for word. I don't like that's just personal style. I don't like that. I like so I usually have bullet points, and the bullet points kind of remind me what I'm supposed to say. And based on each bullet point, I can kind of say a sentence or two, right? And so then, then I said to it, I said, "Great. Now, can you take that and put it into bullet point format that reminds me what to say, but doesn't lose any of the key points or any of the jokes?" And, and it gave me a list of bullet points, which is what I've been, which I used to do that intro at the beginning. So let's do some rapid fire questions from the audience. Is, is Joe Guzman here? Awesome, Joe. All right, so Joe asked um, what your impression is of the space industry in Austin. Well, I have, a, I have a son that is this close to finishing his PhD in physics, and uh, which means he and I have nothing to talk about. Um, uh, um, I spell it with an F. I just, I just want to, but, but, uh, uh, but he's fascinated. 
as we try to grow that. I, I, think, I think if you're going to be the tech capital of the world and you're looking to what are the future concepts, that is something we ought to pay attention to. And plus, it might get my son back home in a job. So. All right, awesome. Uh, Mason Arnold's here. This, we'll have to make this the abbreviated answer because I know this could be a long one, but he wants to know how you feel about the city manager position, not the specific city manager, and the strong mayor concept. What do you see happening with that? I, I, I favor a strong mayor concept because I think you ought to be able to hold the person that's making the decisions accountable. And, you know, uh, you, you could walk down, walk into any restaurant and they're only going, you maybe five, find three people that know who the city manager is, but you'll find a pretty good percentage that know who the mayor is. And by the way, I just spent a year running for mayor where everywhere I went, they weren't asking me big policy questions. They were asking me, how are we going to get around on I-35? They, they, they were asking me about management things. They want the city managed well. And for those that don't know, the, the manager is the one that is head of all that system. Most of the city employees, all of the departments are managed by the city manager who is hired by the mayor and council. Uh, one of the, so part of the only way you can hold a city manager accountable is the way we did uh, in the first six weeks I was mayor because we needed to get rid of the city manager. We fired the city manager and brought in an interim. I think you ought to be able to hold the person accountable as the voter and not have to hope that the accountability comes uh, secondarily. Uh, Roger Piscina, who is from the company I was telling you about that uh, dispatches drones to go yeah. investigate things for the police, um, wants to know if, you, if you believe there'll be flying cars in Austin 20 years from now. It's that time frame, what do you, which if the future is Let me, let me tell you what a visionary I am. <laughs> this I-35 question, if we lower I-35 and then cap it, we'll have runways <laughs> for those cars. There you go. They can yeah, runways to take off. I'm, I'm way it. ahead on I-35. You're way ahead of it, yeah. All right, Beth Goff McMillan, I saw her here. She asked, how do you feel about adding more incentives for historically underutilized businesses? which was actually a term I was not familiar with, hubs, although it was well-defined by ChatGPT. Uh, and specifically, um, as I understand it, you know, refers to businesses primarily founded by underrepresented founders uh, that we'd think about as well. So. Um, I, don't think, I don't think we've gone far, I'm, I'm for more, because I don't think we've gone far enough in terms of making sure that in this economy, everybody's getting to, to participate. We, uh, you know, the city, has a uh, MBE, WBE program, uh, uh, Minority Business Enterprise, Women Business Enterprise program, and uh, disparity studies are done. And one of the interesting things about the disparity studies, uh, they'll say that while we're getting more MBEs and WBEs involved in things, it's succeeding, maybe you don't need to do more incentives. but. I, I, what, I, what I know that is saying is we're having success by doing those things and we shouldn't become a victim of our own success. The other thing is that I think we need to focus on workforce development. This is not incentives to, to hubs, but we ought to be focusing on workforce development where we change our economic development paradigm in this region and change it from just counting the number of new W-2s we created at the end of the year 
and actually start counting the number of people, including people of color, in the jobs that are being created. And that means, I think, focusing uh, as, as early as, as ninth grade on getting apprenticeships, getting people into uh, certification programs, those kinds of things. And the beauty of that, if we do it right, is it will also introduce us to their parents that in many instances, they may be underemployed. And so we can, we can help that whole family. And then the last thing I'll say about that is, we've got to do something about early childhood because there's no way to break down all of the racial barriers uh, that we have unless we start that early breaking down systemic barriers. And you'll see me talk more about that in the, in the future. All right, we're almost, almost through these here. Um, not, uh, Craig Cummings asked, uh, he first actually said four years because he wasn't aware that, the, uh, maybe, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but from what I saw of the question, maybe he wasn't aware that your term is not a typical term elected for four years, but you actually were elected for six years with a two-year check-in point uh, in the middle there. Well, there you uh, go. But, I hope um, you're right. Yeah, right. But uh, so, so I'm going to say for six, in six years, um, what are you most excited about for the next six years, and what are you, kind of your, you think of our biggest challenge for the next six years? Um, wow. Um, for those that don't know, this is a two-year term because the voters voted to put the mayor's race at the same time as presidential elections. So to get in sync, I was elected in 22, and now I have to run in 24, and that will be a four-year term. That's why he comes up. How he came up with six. Um, hmm. Well, I, I'll start with kind of where I started in all this discussion. Number one would be that when I leave, people would be, six years from now, they would say, ah, city government is doing what it ought to do in this, in this focal point in a worldwide economy. It's, gotten, it's taking care of basics. It's doing the right things with regard to economic development. Uh, and and it, it gets things done in a way that is moving this big international city into the class that it ought to be the way you described it, where it, is, uh, where it is now and where it can be. The second thing I would say is what I just mentioned, and that is that we will have addressed things like early childhood in such a way that we're, we're, we're helping people get into this economy, but we're also doing it in a way that breaks down structural barriers. Um, and then I'm, I'll throw in the third thing, which I just said a minute ago, and that's workforce. Um, Part of the affordability problem in this town is that a lot of people don't have the money in their pockets to afford something. And so I want to address affordability in that way as well. Great answers. All right, before I ask you my last question, I just want to quickly read off uh, the second question that I got asked. One was, do you have a question for the mayor, which is what fed some of these. The other one was, is do you have some opportunity to work with the city that we should forward on? Which again, no obligation, but we're at least going to share it with them and with yeah. other people on the staff. So hopefully they can see it or forward it to the right people. And just to give you all some ideas of what kind of things people suggested, uh, Beth Goff McMillan uh, talked about as a hub billis a hub business uh, participating in strategic purchasing of furniture and furnishings for all the city of Austin offices. Craig Cummings said, connect me into anything about, all, uh, about military veterans. Rhett, who we heard about, is a 17-year-old building Texas's next best mountain bike park, um, and he's raising funding for that um, and looking for partners. Joe Guzman wants to grow the Austin chapter of the, Aust of the Space Force Association in partnership with the city, which there's a lot of space activity going on here. 
Uh, Yogi Porla uh, wants to help the city of Austin meet federal mandates on zero trust compliance and reduce cybersecurity investments. And Ramesh uh, wants to help the city of Austin build capabilities in data science, AI, machine learning, and business analytics. So okay. lots of good ideas coming our ways. And the last thing I wanted to ask, this was actually also from um, the interview with Sewell that I watched. And one of the things that you said there that I thought was, I, I really appreciated actually, um, when he, ta he talked about it being a close election, uh, about um, Austin obviously having a lot of different strong feelings right now and things going on. And he asked you, and, and one of the comments you made is you said that you aren't the same person at the end of the election as you were at the beginning. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit more about what you meant by that and how you're a different person now and what that means for your time as mayor. So uh, that phrase, in 1981, when I graduated from law school, and the reason we came to Austin for that one year was uh, for me to work for a, a federal judge who was on the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And he, had, he was from uh, Hubbard City, which is outside of Hillsborough. Hillsborough is the big city there. And uh, he was from Hubbard City, and he had been elected uh, district attorney. He had been elected as a district judge. He had been elected to the Court of Appeals, elected to the Supreme Court, and then the president appointed him to the Fifth Circuit. So he had been both elected many times and appointed. And, and um, uh, there was a big debate in 1981 about should we elect our judges or should we appoint them? And I asked him one day, we're sitting in chambers, and I just said, hey, judge, should we elect them or should we appoint them? And I thought he was going to say appoint. I, I don't know why I really thought that, but I thought that's what he would say. But that quick, he said, elect. And I said, really, why do you say that? And he said, because there's no one that begins a campaign that if they're paying attention is the same person at the end of the campaign because of all the, the people they see, all the things they hear from the people, um, and you're, you're a different person. Of course, I've run. Um, I've, I've run, you know, I was mayor and, and ran for attorney general and didn't win, and that, that, that made me a different person in a lot of ways. Um, I ran for the Senate multiple times. Um, and, and in this instance, I would say, um, as, as hard as it is to kind of say this out loud, but one of the things about this campaign that I, I think it, I'm different is I think I came out of this campaign with more humility. I, I, I would, I, I, I mean, that's kind of hard to say out loud, right? Um, and, I mean, and you, they, you were a very favored candidate coming yeah. in. Like, yeah, that's right. Everybody knew you. You'd yeah, been mayor and, before. Right? And I'll like, be honest, from my perspective, um, you know, I, I've, had, I've got a resume of success in, in public life, and it wasn't okay. Yes, go ahead and be mayor. It was instead sell us on being mayor again at this point in your life. And I'm not ashamed. I mean, it's kind of hard to, so like I say, it's kind of hard to say, but I'm not ashamed to say that I think I came in, I came out of that campaign and came into office now uh, with a greater humility because of that campaign. I, I, and there are other things that I think I learned and, and are different. But that's clearly the number one thing. Um, it, it's um, the other part. The other thing I'd say that, that I'd say is a. It's not even. It's not a close second, but it's a second. Is that 
the sense of urgency is greater than it was when I first started. And that is because, um, frankly, I think it was so hard. And you need to appreciate how hard that is to reintroduce yourself, resell yourself, convince people that you're the right person for the job, and then you have no time to waste because you've made those commitments and they need to mean something. So I'd say those are the two things. I'm, I learned a lot, and um, it just goes to show that um, if you're paying attention, you can learn at any point, and that's what I think elections are about, is learning from the people what it is they want to see and becoming a better person as a result of it. Well, I was, I was really glad to hear that answer. I appreciate it a lot, and I, I hope that's something that I'm sure will help make you a better mayor. Uh, and um, I just want to thank you. I'm so appreciative of you making the sacrifice you do. It is not easy to be mayor. You get in any political position, lots of shit, but man, mayor gets a really lot of shit. <laughs> Everybody, you know, like, I mean, I can't, you get, I text you enough, I can't imagine how many other people blowing <laughs> up your right. phone with every other thing that they got going on that they think is the most urgent thing in the world. Um, and so, um, so one, thank you for, for making this commitment. Thank you. And for, for doing this for Austin again. Um, and thank you for making this time to be with us here tonight. Um, so that we can all get introduced to you here in, in the tech community and help to support this all together uh, in making this the best Austin that it can be for the next six years, too. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you mean to the city of Austin, what Capital Factory means, and I appreciate you putting this on. This, is, this has been fun um, because uh, I, learn from, I learn every time I do something like this, but um, I, I wish you all the best of luck. Let me know how I can be helpful to you. Um, I'm pretty easy to find, and um, and I and I want to be found. So if there are things that you you are interested in, uh, get in touch with me. And God bless you and good luck. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at capitalfactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible, and special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show.